Welcome back, everyone, to Your Life, God's Word, where we take the principles found in Scripture and we apply them to our everyday lives, those areas that are most important, faith, family, and community. All right, welcome back, everyone. We are here with another episode, and uh, we are continuing on our uh, sort of review, our um, our dive into the Four Seasons of Marriage. It is by Gary Chapman, and uh, again, we've devoted the entire month of February uh, to teaching, preaching. Uh, just going deep on the idea that God is in marriage, that marriage is sacred, that it's important, and that if we want to, say, change the world around us, we need to start on the micro level. A lot of times people will talk about changing the world, oh, you know, making big changes, uh, we, we need to... We need to see this happen in our country or in the world or, or in our community. And we forget that in order to really have change, uh, you got to boil it down to what you can actually do. What can you actually change? And for the most part, you can change yourself and, um, and your situation. And so in order to... In order to affect big changes in the world, we need to make small changes in our own lives. And if collectively people do that, then we will see big change in the world. And that's kind of what we're what we're going for. Um, the first institution, the God 
ever uh, created in the earth is the institution of marriage. And so we've devoted the month of February again to, um, to discussing and building and empowering people um, to have better marriages. Um, this time around, we're going to talk about these seven strategies that he lays out in this book. The, uh, the seven strategies, um, it, it's a lengthy, uh, it's a lengthy portion of the book, big, 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 big chunk of the book. And, um, I'm just going to go through them in overview. Again, if you want to go, you know, deeper into this, definitely get a copy. Um, I'm not getting any royalties or pretty much getting nothing out of this except for the ability to, or the opportunity to be able to help uh, you hopefully um, go from good to better in your marriage, maybe stay at a summer, stay in spring, or to go from um, maybe not so great to having a, a good um, time in your relationship and in your marriage. So that's, you know, to me, that's, that's, that's definitely worth it. I definitely want to help people do that. Now, the strategies, most of them are pretty uh, self-explanatory when you when you just state what the strategy is, but some of them, or most of them, actually, I'll probably dive in a little bit more and explain some of the things that he goes through uh, in the book to help out. Uh, so, before we jump in, don't forget to smash that like button and subscribe, and more importantly, really, than those, although... Yeah, please take a few seconds. It takes literally like, I don't know, five seconds. Um, more important than that, or like a review on Spotify would really be helpful. Um, but more important than that, honestly, is share this with somebody that you know. Share this uh, this small series with people that maybe they're having a rough patch in their marriage, or maybe they, they've you know asked questions or said things and you're just like, hey, maybe this will help, or maybe this will be useful for you. Um, so, because ultimately, the the point is not to get a whole bunch of subscribers necessarily. The point is to help uh, people. But obviously, the more subscribers we have, and the more people we have listening and watching, the more opportunity we have to help more people, right? So, strategy number one is deal with past failures. And at the end of this, I'm going to summarize uh, from a biblical standpoint, just a lot of what this book is about, but uh, right now I'm just going specifically through the through the book itself. So deal with past failures. You know, talk about things. Don't let things fester. Um, actually, having a conversation and having forgiveness. Right, confession, repentance, forgiveness. Basically, just having that as a normal part of your marriage. That sounds so like blasé, like, oh yeah, of course. No, no. The vast majority of marriages do not operate this way. And even in a Christian context, just because somebody's a Christian, doesn't mean that they actually do this in their marriage. And it's so vitally important. Strategy two. Oh, maybe I should explain. The strategies are ways to move from like a fall or a winter scenario back to spring or summer, or to keep spring slash summer uh, perpetual. So that's what these strategies are. Strategy number two of seven is choose a winning attitude. And one of the things he talks about, and again, I love the I love the choice 
of the word choose because we are uh, often too quick to blame everything else, blame circumstance, blame, you know, that's just the way I was brought up or, you know, blame my personality or whatever. But at the end of the day, you know, having a good marriage is a choice. There are times where one person could choose to have a good marriage, but if the other person's not on board, it's just not going to happen. But when we get to the last strategy, you'll see that a lot of times, actually, even if only one person, uh, you can go look at the love dare. It's called the love dare. Um, that's one of these things that uh, if it's more of a one-sided type of um, scenario, that you can start doing things on your own to try and um, help your spouse see you're serious and show that love. And a lot of times people who may, you may think, nope, they're out, they're gone, they're not, they don't want to work on this at all. You might actually find you doing just what you can do will change their heart and change their attitude toward the marriage. So anyway, choosing a winning attitude, he says, uh, every human being is made in the image of God and is therefore extremely valuable. So these are some things on a Christian worldview that we need to be thinking about. Each person is uniquely gifted by God, including the mentally and physically challenged. Um, God uh, creates every person. We are all uh, in his image, and we are all unique. Uh, each person has a unique role to play in life. Marriage is God's idea. Husbands and wives are intended to complement each other. Uh, and then lastly, the object of marriage is to glorify God by serving one spouse and helping the spouse reach his or her God-given potential. Now, uh, looking at marriage from the standpoint of God first is the concept in another book called Sacred Marriage that I really love. I really recommend that, mar that, that marriage book. Um, and, and I think I mentioned this before. We actually um, will... Uh, push, let's say, young man and young woman say they want to get married. Um, you know, they're they're in a relationship or something. They want to take that step of, um, you know, turning it into something that's really sacred before God. We will go through this book with them. It's like six or seven weeks worth of just chapter by chapter, and then some like questions and activity type things uh, or workbook. Um, but it helps put it in perspective that it's all about God. It's about glorifying God. So I love that he that he called that out in um, in those last two points. Really, that it's about it's about God. Marriage was God's idea, and our marriage should glorify God. Um, he goes on to say on this choosing a winning attitude, um, a couple of things with breaking the cycle of negativity, just getting in that 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 constant. You're always thinking negatively. He says acknowledge your negative thinking. So first and foremost, admit it's there. Um, a lot of problems in life. Uh, the way to solve them starts with actually acknowledging the problem. Like everybody around you can see the problem, but you have to acknowledge it. Second, identify and list your spouse's positive traits. <clears throat> uh, third, teach yourself to focus on your uh, spouse's positive traits. Fourth, ask God to give you a biblical perspective of your spouse. And lastly, express your appreciation verbally to your spouse. So again, it's choosing to focus on the positive. And um, that should begin to, it, it will, 
it will be more and more natural. Let's put it that way. At first, especially if you're kind of a negative person or not a negative person necessarily, but maybe you just tend to focus um, where the need is for help. So, um, you know, I wouldn't consider myself like a negative person, but a lot of times when things are going good, it's like, yeah, of course they should be going good. But then there's an issue. You want to kind of deal with the issue, fix the issue. It's not constant negativity, but it is um, kind of taking uh, the positive for granted and then wanting to like fix you know things fix the fix the problem fix the issues so um that is definitely something we have to we have to work on if we want to <clears throat> have a good marriage and you know be in an endless summer for instance uh, strategy three learn to speak your spouse's love language this is a throwback to his his other book the five love languages which is a great book but it's basically uh letting you know that the way you show love may not be how your spouse receives love. And so you want to show love in the way that they receive love. I'll give you an example. One of the five love languages is um, gifts. And another one is um, acts of service. So if a man loves to receive gifts he that that's how he feels loved when somebody buys his, him something when somebody brings him something when someone it's whether it's a card or something expensive it doesn't really matter it's the gift that's how he receives love that's how he maybe that's how he grew up or whatever a lot of times he's going to show love that way he's going to buy his wife stuff he's got her a new watch he got her a new purse he bought her some flowers, he bought her a card. But then the wife, it's not that she hates gifts, but that's not her primary or secondary love language. She, she enjoys them, she likes them, but that's not really what she's about. What she really, really likes is acts of service. She likes when, you know, she walks in, she's, you know, giving, giving one of the kids a bath, she walks into the kitchen, and there he is putting putting away that last dish because while she was doing that, he decided to go ahead and take care of washing the dishes, swapping them out in the dishwasher, whatever. Um, acts of service, right? That's what she likes. So what happens is she is probably doing acts of service, tons of them, like all kinds of great things. He likes gifts though. And so... She is showing love. He's not feeling loved. Vice versa, he's buying a bunch of gifts. He's showing love. She's not feeling love. So they need to get on that same language barrier, or not barrier, but they need to get over the barrier and get on the same, uh, speaking the same language. So another great book. I, I recommend getting the book. You know, again, maybe, you know, 10 bucks or so on Amazon and um, doing that one as well. But learn how, what you're wife or your husband learn what they like what do they enjoy do they enjoy personal time together another one is physical touch another one's word of affirmation what what do they really like and do that even if it's not what you necessarily like um, the most 
uh, do it anyway because that's how they receive love. Um, number four, the fourth strategy is develop the awesome power of empathetic listening. And this is his four keys of empathetic listening that he gives. Number one, listen with an attitude of understanding, not judgment. So you're just listening and trying to understand their point of view. Um, second, withhold judgment on your spouse's ideas. This is where I always get hung up because I always want to be like, well, that's not that's not true. I feel like we've never I feel like we never um, spend just quality alone time together anymore. And I immediately, right, first probably take that as a personal attack. Um, and then second, which you shouldn't do. I know that, but again, I'm human. Forgive me. Um, but then I immediately want to go, wait a minute, you know, it's today's Wednesday. Just last Friday, we went out and we had dinner together and we spent quality time together. That's what I want to do. I'm judging, I'm evaluating, I'm trying to fix the issue. And sometimes it's just that they need to be heard. They need someone listening. They don't need someone evaluating, judging, and fixing. Uh, so listen to understand, withhold judgment. Third, affirm your spouse even when you disagree with the ideas. So I'm learning to do this better and better, that the underlying facts could actually be wrong. So we never spent any time together. Literally five days ago, we just, you know, went, we just, we just went away for the weekend. We got a babysitter lined up. We, you know, spent quality time for a couple of days. And a week later, you're saying we never spend time together. Here's what I have started to learn and grow in and try to be better at. And that is the facts are incorrect. <laughs> yes, we do spend time together. The emotion is is correct and true, right? They do feel that way though. So instead of trying to bring facts immediately into the discussion, doesn't mean you don't ever talk about the facts, but you, you listen, you understand, you withhold that judgment of, wait a minute, the facts say this. And what do you do? Oh my goodness. Why, honey, why do you feel that way? Is there something I can do? Maybe don't suggest anything, just maybe the asking, right? Is there something I can do? What, what my goodness, what's going on? That's, that's awful. I, I'm sorry you feel that way. These are ways of affirming the feeling or the emotion without lying to yourself or your spouse and trying to say, oh, no, no, the facts definitely prove that. That I'm, I'm learning to do because I'm not a big feelings person. I'm more of a facts and you know, logic and reason and data type of person. Um, and then the last thing, share your own ideas only when your spouse feels understood. So that's the thing. You are legitimizing, affirming, yes, this feeling is legitimate. This this feeling is there. This you The emotion is true. You are feeling this way. What is going on? What can I do? Maybe a hug, maybe a... And then when things kind of, kind of calm down and we can start moving to the reason, logic, reality plane, that's when you... That's when you say things like, okay, well, we just went on a trip. Is that not the kind of special time? Or was it just, it's too little too late? Like, what what do you feel? What do you think would, that's where you maybe move into the place of let's let's try to go forward and do better 
or fix this or whatever, but not before. You listen, you affirm, you um, you are, have that empathy. And, you know, I, I know it's overused. I know with all the wokeism and the ridiculousness in our society, we talk about, you know, people just want to feel heard. We, we want to be heard and all that stuff. And sometimes it's just ridiculous. What you really need is just a swift kick in the pants. But when you're married, no, no. Uh, you need to hear and listen and have that empathetic uh, empathetic listening. Um, so develop the awesome power of empathetic listening. Um, strategy five, discover the joy of helping your spouse succeed. So he lists four practical ways to help your, your spouse succeed. It says offering encouraging words, take supportive action, provide emotional support, and express respect for your spouse. Your spouse has, a, has an idea, an endeavor, a whatever it is. They, they decide they're going to change a certain behavior. Uh, you know, be supportive. Now, again, obviously, if it's good, right? Not, hey, I think I'm going to quit my job and just be a bum. And that's not something you want to support. Um, but you want to help them in uh, being successful in things that are that are good. But there's a lot of joy in that and seeing and, and being there for those victories. And again, this is kind of that look at each other as a team, as a unit. And that is strategy five. Strategy six is maximize your differences. He has five steps for that. He says, identify your differences. It's a good first step. Uh, look for assets in your differences. So look instead of looking at the negative or how these clash, how, what are some ways that these might actually benefit one another, complement one another, augment one another? That's what he's saying. Learn from your differences, right? Replace condemnation with affirmation and then discover a plan for maximizing your differences. So again, it's not trying to make the other person be exactly like, like you or I don't want my wife to be exactly like me. That's, that's not the point. The point is let's recognize the differences and let's maximize them. Let's use those differences so that together, right, the business world you know, is big on the word synergy. There's that synergetic component that just the two of us coming together can do more than either of us alone. Why is that? Well, probably because there are some um, complementary attributes and uh, natural abilities and skills and things like that, that that come into play. The seventh strategy is implement the power of positive influence. Implement the power of positive influence. And one of the things he, he lists out there is um, is this. I think it's very, very solid. Positive choices lead to positive actions that result in positive feelings. Now, this is big. This is big and it's, it's uber. I can't even say super. I have to say uber. It is uber countercultural because much of our culture is about feeling it's it's emoting it's emotion like we don't even text words we don't even well, we certainly don't call we, we 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 don't even text anymore we just emote we just send out a, a, a some kind of a, a face is a smiley face a frowny face a meh face um that's fine when you're just you know trying to communicate quickly through text 
It's not fine when it creeps into society as a whole, and that's exactly where we are. We're just emotive. People just running around with their feelings on their on their sleeves, and they're led by their feelings. They bring that into the workforce, into their job, into their relationships. Um, they bring that into the church. And, you know, it's all about feeling, and I just feel, and I want to live my best life, and I just don't, my heart's not in it, and this kind of stuff. And I think this is just absolutely the, the, the medicine that we need. Uh, positive choices. Positive choices. We are choosing. Choosing. So it doesn't start with the feeling because you might actually have negative feeling. In your marriage, you might have negative feeling towards your spouse at this moment, right now in time. Now, I have counseled people. I have worked with people. Uh, we have done um, uh, things like this before. Gone, we've actually gone through the five love languages before and, and different um, books with uh, small groups and individuals. But I have seen that sometimes people, when they are just led by their feelings, it's like, well, I just don't feel to do that. It doesn't matter if you feel to do that. Right? Now, I know that is like absolutely countercultural. What? What? My, you want me to do something that my heart of hearts is not in? How am I going to live my best life today if I don't feel? Grow up. Put your big boy pants on. And it's time to make choices. Uh, nothing difficult. Nothing difficult that's ever been done. I mean, serious difficulty where people overcome real adversity, right? And, and again, in the United States of America, it has, for the for the majority of people, we don't even know what it means to overcome real adversity. We are so comfortable. It's so just, everything's given to people. Even if you're quote-unquote poor in this country, like the poorest people are like rich compared to like, it's like 50 or 60% of the world or something crazy like that. Don't quote me on that, right? You just use percentages and statistics to prove your point. You don't actually expect people to check you on that. But a, a, a large chunk, let's put it that way, a large chunk of the population of the world, some of the poorest people or some of the people we would look at as poor in the United States, they are way better off than those people. But what is the issue? We're led by our feelings and our emotions and our heart. And we need to be led by our choices, right? We need to say, you know what? I I actually do feel cruddy about this. I actually, my actually, my heart is not in this. My heart is not in doing this for my spouse, going and buying a nice thing for them because they're like saying something nice to them to affirm them. Uh, my heart is not in it because I've been hurt, because I've grown cold, because they did something to me. And again, in the Bible, the biblical understanding of marriage, there's nothing about your heart. What? No. Uh, you don't say, well, my heart is not really in providing for my family anymore, therefore I don't, I'm not going to do it. It doesn't matter what your heart says. Uh, God says, your heart is deceitful and wicked, <laughs> right? My heart is deceitful and wicked. So it doesn't really matter what our heart 
says. It doesn't matter what we feel. It matters what we are required to do. And in a bygone era, this was a common thing. This is what people knew. People went to war um, to protect their families, uh, their children, their future, not because they felt like possibly getting their head blown off. It was what needed to be done. People have overcome physical uh, hurdles and ailments, um, not because they felt a certain way, but because they chose to do so. Um, in the workforce, people have overcome great adversity, great trial, great hurdles, uh, not because they were living their best life, but because every day they got up and it was a grind and it was pain and it was, but they chose, I am go. this needs to be done. I will, right? So they made choices. And this is, again, very countercultural to today, but marriage is the most important institution in the world, more important than some club you're in with your buddies, more important than your job, more important than the government. Marriage is the first institution God ever created. And I will even say this. If you have poor marriages, you're going to have a poor church. But if you have great marriages, you will end up with a great church, given everything else is equal. So if you got the same, again, right, both churches, solid doctrine, solid relationship with God, power of God moving, spirit spirit at work, at the wheel, doing, the, doing what needs to be done. If you got a whole bunch of people that don't care about their marriage, coming together and trying to make that happen. It's not going to work out. But if you have a bunch of people that are about that, working on that marriage, strong marriages, strong families, you're going to change the world. And that's because of positive choices. I can promise you my wife does not always feel uh, to look after me and the children. She doesn't feel to clean or to... Uh, make a meal for us or to, you know, work hour upon hour upon hour. Again, it's a serious, I'll tell you this, my wife sometimes would rather go work at a job than to work in the home because anybody that says working in the home, well, that's just like laying on the couch and they don't know what they're talking about if we're talking, taking care of a family. Now, if you have no kids go get a job, <laughs> okay? Do something productive because unless you're churning your own butter and making your own clothes, there's probably not enough um, to be doing during the day. I, I'm with you, okay? But biblically, a woman, her calling, her calling of God, oh, what does God want me to do? Her calling is to work in the home. Go read Go read Titus. Um and that doesn't mean she can't have something outside the home. But her number one priority is what? The home. And if you think that's easy, you crazy. Because if you gave me the choice, I'm not built that way. I'm not the nurturer. I'm that's a, We get to that, the compliments and the differences. And I, I am very different. Uh, 
love my wife, love my family. I would lay down my life for them. Uh, and in many ways I do actually. Uh, but I, she is the one she is way, my wife is way more capable and way better to be there nurturing and taking care of the children when they're young, to be raising them up and taking care of the household. She chooses to do that. Not because she wakes up just feeling it all day. I don't feel like going to work all the time. I don't feel like, you know, that daily grind. And again, I'm not, <laughs> this might be countercultural too. I've been hitting that daily grind for years and years and years and years and years consistently, consistently, consistently. You think I feel like doing that? No, I don't. Um, but we make choices. Those choices lead to positive actions, right? The nurturing, the taking care of the home, the getting up and going to work and doing my best and trying to be a good employee and um, you know, all those things. And then they result in the positive feeling. Many times you do for your spouse and the feelings will come after. By doing positive actions, and I've, I've experienced this before myself. I was, I've had times where I was actually mad or upset with my wife for something she did or whatever. And I went, got her a card or got her some flowers or whatever. And it actually made me feel better. Now, the feeling isn't what got the flowers, right? Because I didn't feel like doing that. I did it anyway. But the feeling came after. And oftentimes, that's exactly how it works. The reason you have the negative feelings was actually the feeling didn't just come on out of nowhere. Choices were made. Maybe choices to let something that, that was said, maybe a legitimate hurt, sink in. Instead of making the choice, I'm not going to focus on this. I'm going to forgive whether they ask for it or not. I'm going to love. I'm going. Instead of that, we chose to let it sink in, and then the feelings came. So what that, that kind of gets me to what I want to talk about. Almost everything in this book, I, I, I would venture to even say everything in this book, if we were honest. As a Christian, if we were to live out, truly live out what the Bible says to live out as Christians, we wouldn't need books like this. Um. We would, we would do these things naturally. Now, it might be naturally, but it might be more trial and error, and we might it might take longer for us to get to some of this great wisdom in this book, and that's why I recommend books like this. I don't just say, oh, don't read the books like that. Just go pray and read your Bible, because books like this can help you to narrow in on some of these things that, oh, I need to work on that more quickly, or maybe even before they ever become a problem or anything like that. And, um, and I, I think that's great. You can also listen to the wisdom from other people's mistakes and other people's experiences. However, in the scriptures, for instance, right, when it talks about things like confession, repentance, and forgiveness, if we actually did that, if we actually forgave like the scriptures tell us to, we would never hold grudges. There would never be any grudges. If we were to go to 1 Corinthians 13 and actually live out the love chapter, uh, we wouldn't keep record of wrongs. We, right? Getting over the past, deal with the past, it would already be dealt with. 
So strategy number one, check. <laughs> Done. Uh, what was strategy number two? Choose a winning attitude. Guess what? If we were walking in the spirit like we're supposed to, right? Walking in love like First Corinthians says, guess what? That's what we'd be doing. The uh, speaking our, our spouse's love language. Now, again, this takes understanding that we need to be communicating with our spouse, but we would be what doing what 1 Corinthians 7 says. We would be sacrificing for our spouse. We would put, be putting their needs above ours, and naturally, we would be doing strategy three. Uh, strategy four, develop the awesome power of empathetic listening. Once again, if we're walking in the Spirit and we have humility and we have a desire to serve that other person, guess what we would be doing? We would be listening and hearing. Okay? Not the woke. I, we, do you hear me? We need to be heard. No, but the biblical, we need to hear the pain that someone's going through, the emotions they're, they're, they're expressing. We would do that naturally. Uh, discover the joy of helping your spouse succeed, strategy five. Um, we would automatically be doing that if we were scriptural Christians, if we were walking in love. We would be rejoicing when our spouse succeeds, and we would be viewing our marriage as a unity. We are one. We are here to help one another and support one another. This is a biblical concept maximize your differences. Once again, we would recognize from the scriptures that we are different. We would go to places like Titus that are very countercultural, and we would see what are the roles of men and women? What does God view, and how should men be operating in their homes and women? And guess what? This would be done naturally if we were walking in the Spirit, if we were disciples of Jesus Christ, right? prayer, scripture, we would, be, we would naturally be led to these things. And then the last, implement the power of positive influence. Again, choosing positive actions rather than being led by our feelings is literally, literally, what scriptures like Jeremiah automatically lead to, where he says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? We are, well, just from Genesis to Revelation, man is sinful. We should be following the principles of God and not the, our own natural, Romans 8, okay? Walking in the Spirit and not in our flesh, James, right? All of these, we would be doing these. But here, and this, the reason I say all this is because in our last, uh, in our Wednesday session where we're going in, the, in this book uh, locally and just talking and facilitating discussion and stuff, somebody brought up, well, Man, wouldn't wouldn't so much of this just be be natural if we were just, you know, walking in the spirit, living like God, you know, wants us to? And the answer is yes. <laughs> yeah. And yet we don't see this in churches. We don't see when you go and you poll churches across the land. Well, everybody does all these things. They don't need they don't even buy these books. Um no. Why is that? Because I would say the majority of Christians um, in the in the West, uh, we we aren't people who are we know our Bibles front to back. We understand what God requires of us. We 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 are, are, are the scriptures are our marching orders. We aren't 
continually in prayer. Uh, we Many Christians are not filled with the Holy Spirit. So they're not uh, getting that edification and letting the Spirit guide them, and they're just not. Uh, many times we are subpar disciples. We're not really following Christ like we're supposed to. In obedience, that's what that means, right? Disciples. We're supposed to be walking in obedience and reflecting the Master, reflecting the Lord that we're following, and we don't. And therefore, uh, read the book. (laughs) So, you know, read the book, this book, and get back to reading the only book in the world that really matters, and that is the Bible. Because that's where you'll find all the answers for everything, including how to have a great marriage. So, I hope this has helped you walking through these seven, the seven strategies um, in this book. Again, pick it up. Great read. We're not going to go through like the study guide and all this stuff on, on this channel. Um, that is basically the, the overview of the book in summation. And uh, again, to wrap it all up. There is no wisdom in this book that you wouldn't get if we were uh, following the scriptures as we really are intended to. But I fall short of that. You fall short of that. And so because of that, I am so thankful and so grateful for books such as this that can give us some things to point us in the right direction, give us some good insights, give us some things to think about, give us a time to sit down and focus specifically on our marriage because how many people you know open up first corinthians 7 and you know first corinthians 13 and jesus's you know discussions on marriage and and just read those on a regular basis i mean we don't right um so we need to uh, be thankful for works such as this that help us to narrow it down focus us in even if it's only for a week or a month or whatever and help us to work on that that critical institution the institution of marriage the one that is the building block of society the building block of interaction within the world and so I encourage you to go and have uh, an endless summer in your marriage by working on it by making those choices by following these seven strategies and by above all else being disciples true disciples of our Lord Jesus Christ. Love you guys. God bless you. Hope this has helped. And um, we will catch you on the next podcast.